0: Welcome to our Maundy Thursday service here at Crossings. Now, if like me you didn't grow up in church, you may wonder, what is Maundy Thursday? Well, the Maundy part comes from a verse in the Bible. John thirteen thirty four, Jesus says to his disciples, A new command I give you that you should love one another, as I have loved you, love one another. Well, when the Bible was translated into Latin, that word, a new command, is mandatum, or mandate. And so it comes down to us through the centuries as the night in which Jesus gave that mandate, so Monday, The Thursday part will become apparent in the course of our story. And that's really what tonight is about for us, is I'd just like to tell you a story. It's the story of Communion. But first, a little housekeeping. During our story, we'll pause for just a moment, and our ushers will pass out the bread and the cup, because at the end of our story, we'll take communion together. So hold that, because we'll finish our story and then take it together. One warning. Tonight, for our communion, we'll be using kosher matzah, unleavened bread. And I just want to let you know that it is the driest substance in the known universe. So we'll try to take the cup shortly after the bread. I'm just kidding. But that's what we are going to do this evening. It's a time of worship. It's a time of story. And at the end, we'll take communion together. It's our prayer and our hope that you will never think of communion the same way. And also that you will realize the immensity of how awesome our God is and what he's done through the centuries. It was a Thursday evening when Jesus and his disciples gathered together in that upper room. But the reason that they were there began long, long before that night. In fact, it began 2,000 years before that night with a man named Abraham. The word of the Lord came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth through you. And so, Abraham, I want you to get up and leave the land of your fathers, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Well, Abraham believed God. He was faithful. He was obedient. And he got up, and he went to a place he did not know by the leading of God. And he came to the land that is now Israel, and he settled there. And after a number of years... The word of the Lord came to him again, and he said, Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abraham replied, he said, Lord, I have no children. And God said, Abraham, you will become a great nation, and you will not be able to count the number of your descendants. But Abraham replied, but Lord, how can I know that these things will come true? Well, God didn't answer his question. In fact, God said something really curious to him. He said, Abraham, I want you to get a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old without blemish, and a pigeon and a young dove. Well, what's maybe even more curious than that is Abraham knew exactly what to do. He got those animals, the heifer, the goat, and the ram, the pigeon and the dove, and he took them to a place and he cut them in half, literally nose to tail, cut them in half, and he laid them down side by side, and the bodies were laid there, and the blood would run down in between them into a a kind of a trough there. Well, how did he know to do this? Well, in those days, it was not uncommon for a covenant, a contract, a treaty, to be made between kings or between parties. And what they would do is they would cut an animal in two, And the stronger party would walk in between those two pieces first. And as they walked through it, their feet would become bloody and the blood would spatter their robes. But it was a visual sign as if to say, if I don't keep this covenant, this is what you can do to me. In other words, I pledge to keep my part of this contract or my life is forfeit like the life of this animal. So Abraham understood that he was about to make a covenant with God. And so he split the animals in two and he laid them there. And it says he sat down to wait. And as he sat down, the scriptures say a deep and dreadful darkness came over him. Well, let me translate that for you. Abraham was scared to death because as he sat there waiting, he understood that he was about to make a covenant with the God of the universe. And he was pretty sure that when he made this covenant, God would fulfill his part. But Abraham wondered, could he and his descendants fulfill their part? Well, as evening came on, the voice of God came to him and said, Abraham, your descendants will become strangers in a land, not their own. And for 400 years, they will be enslaved. But at the end of that time, I will bring them up out of slavery, and I will give them the land that I promised to you. And they will possess the land, and they will be a great nation, as I have promised you. And the scripture says that in the darkness, Abraham saw a torch and a smoking firepart pass between those animals. And on that night, God made a covenant with Abraham. Well, you may ask, what was Abraham's part of that covenant? We know what God's part was. Well, in Genesis chapter 17, we we hear Abraham's part. God comes to him and he said, Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Well, what he meant by that was be faithful. Continue to do what you have done, and that is obey. Be faithful. Trust me. And that was Abraham's commission to him and to his descendants under the contract. Well, as time went on, Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac had a son, Jacob. And Jacob's sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, and sure enough, they became a great nation as God had said that they would. But they didn't remain faithful. They didn't trust God. They didn't continue to be obedient like Abraham was. They broke that covenant, and their lives were forfeit. But God was faithful anyway. What he said came to pass. They found themselves in the land of Egypt, and they found themselves enslaved for 400 years, just as God said that they would. And God heard their cries, and being faithful to his promise, he sent Moses to deliver them from slavery. Well, you may know the story. Moses approached Pharaoh... And he said to Pharaoh, God said, let these people go as he has promised their forefathers. And Pharaoh replied, I do not know your God and I will not let these people go. In fact, he made their lives more bitter. He made them more difficult. And so the story ensues that God begins to bring a judgment on the land of Egypt and on the gods of Egypt. And you may remember the plagues that Moses brings about. But in the end, The final judgment was this. Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, God said that he will pass through Egypt. And when he does, the firstborn of every household will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner in the dungeon. And then God said to Moses, I want you to go to the Israelites and here's what I want you to say to them. God said, from now on, this will be the first month of your year. And every year on the 10th day of that first month, each household will select a lamb. That lamb is to be one year old without blemish, and you're to care for that lamb until the 14th day of the month. And on that evening at twilight, you will kill the lamb... And you will take some of the blood of the lamb and you'll paint it on your doorposts so that when the Lord passes through Egypt, he will pass over your homes and you will be spared the judgment of God. You're to take that lamb and roast it and you're to eat that lamb with bitter herbs to remind you of the bitterness of the slavery that you've endured. You're to eat that with unleavened bread because you don't have time for the bread to rise. In fact, you're to eat it in haste, with your sandals on and your cloak tucked into your belt and your staff in your hand, because you will leave Egypt on that night. Well, the Scripture says that they did as God commanded. And then on that night at midnight, the Lord passed through Egypt, and the firstborn of every household died. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh to the firstborn son of the slave girl who sat at her loom. And the scripture said there was a wailing and a crying in Egypt greater than has ever been heard before and greater than will ever be heard again. But in the camp of the Israelites, not a dog barked and no one was dead. Pharaoh called to Moses and he said, go, take your people and leave. And so on that night, as God had promised, they came up from Egypt and began to make their way to the land that God had promised Abraham so many years before. Well, God had been faithful, but Israel had not. Their lives were forfeit, and there was a debt owed on this covenant. So God instituted, through Moses, a system of sacrifices— And so when the temple was built, the people would bring periodically an animal for sacrifice, not to satisfy the covenant, but so that the blood of the animal might postpone the penalty, the debt that was owed. When they brought those animals to the temple to be sacrificed, the priest would take the the family's animal and he would put his hand on top and he would confess that this animal was in lieu of the sin, the faithlessness of the people. And so they would do that periodically to postpone this debt, to postpone their sin. In fact, once a year, the entire nation of Israel would come together and the priest would bring out a goat. And he would lay his hands, both hands, on the head of this goat, and he would confess over it all the sins of the nation of Israel It was a day of fasting and prayer and mourning. And the priest would lay symbolically, if you will, the sins of all of Israel on the head of this goat. It was called the scapegoat. And then the goat would be led outside the city and turned loose in the desert to die. And so year after year, century after century, 1400 years to that Thursday night they remembered the covenant and the debt and the sacrifice. And so Jesus was gathered that night as a remembrance of that covenant and as a remembrance of the debt that was owed. It had been a busy week. Just the Sunday before Jesus had come riding into Jerusalem. Now, there were tens of thousands of additional Jews in Jerusalem because if you could, you were supposed to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. And so there were so many Jews that would pack Jerusalem and the surrounding areas that the Romans would bring in extra cohorts of troops for fear of an uprising to keep order. And so as Jesus came riding in on that Sunday morning, there were so many thousands of additional Jews. And you may remember what happened. They came out to Jesus, and they were waving palm branches, which were a sign of royalty. And they lined the path that he was going, and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. Now, they thought that Jesus had come to save them from the oppression of the Romans. He'd come to restore their political fortunes and their independence. Well, that wasn't what Jesus came to do, but he didn't stop them because he had come to save them, just not from what they thought. He had a bigger prize in mind. He remembered a covenant. He remembered a debt, and he knew their lives were forfeit, and he had come to save them. But there was something else special about that day. That Sunday was the 10th day of the first month of the year. It was Lamb Selection Day. And so all those Jews in Jerusalem on that 10th day had either brought this one-year-old lamb with them or many were there to select their lambs for the Passover. And so as they came in, they were selecting these lambs and leading these lambs and crying, Hosanna! to Jesus as he rode in. You may remember that a few years before, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist was standing in a city one time and Jesus came walking in and John the Baptist said something really curious. He said, look there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a curious thing to say. But here's Jesus, riding into Jerusalem, on the 10th day of the first month. It's lamb selection day, and God had chosen his lamb. It was Thursday evening, and Jesus and his disciples were gathered around the table to eat his last Passover. In the traditional Passover meal, There are four cups of wine. And after dinner, the third cup of wine is called the cup of redemption or the cup of deliverance. And the scripture says that after dinner, Jesus took that cup and instead of saying the traditional blessing and them drinking, he said something different. He said, This cup is a new covenant. In my blood, drink each one of you from this cup. Well, they were shocked. I mean, it's 1,400 years of this tradition, and Jesus breaks the Seder tradition. He doesn't say the blessing. He doesn't drink the cup. He he says something else. And what's even more alarming, what he said just bears a startling resemblance to something that they were familiar with, something very intimate and very personal it sounded like a marriage ceremony. You see, in those days, when a young man wanted to wed a young woman, the young man and his father would visit the father of the bride and they would begin to discuss the bride price, the price that would be paid to redeem her from her father so that she would then come to be with the young man. Well, it was a negotiation. The father of the bride tried to, drive as as hard a price as he could, not always because he's so greedy, but simply because his daughter is worth so much to him. But they would then come to an agreement on this price. And so they'd pour a cup of wine, and the young woman would be brought in. And so the young man would take this cup, and he would drink from this cup of wine. And that was his symbol to say, I want to marry you. I love you. I'll commit my life to you. Will you commit your life to me? Now contrary to, to modern thinking, the young woman had a choice. She could say no, she could pass on the cup, if you will. Or she could take that cup and she could drink. and that's her response is, "I love you, and I'll commit my life to you." and yes. I will marry you. Well, that's kind of what Jesus was doing. I mean, it's as though he had stopped this this sacred proceeding and he had said, Will you marry me? You know, the scripture uses that image a lot, by the way. Throughout the scripture, you see, and throughout history, God likens his relationship with his people to a marriage. There's nothing particularly significant in that in any literal way. The reason for it is it's the most intimate relationship that we understand. It's not the most intimate relationship that God understands, but it is the most intimate relationship that we understand. And so he takes that cup and said, this is a new covenant that I'm going to make in my blood. Drink from this cup. You know, when they left that meal, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane that night, and Jesus was in great agony. And it said that he asked them to pray with him, and he went aside to pray, and he prayed over and over. And do you remember what he prayed? He prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass me by. Because you see, when the young man offered the cup and said, I commit my life to you, to the woman, He didn't expect that he would literally have to die for her. But Jesus knew that when he drank from that cup, in a very short time, he would be called on to literally die for us. And so he prays to God. He said, if there's any other way, he said, I know that their lives are forfeit, your life, my life. I know that there is a debt On this covenant. If there's any other way, not the cross, but not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus said, Can this cup pass me by? And God said, No. And he drank the cup. And at 9 a.m. on Friday morning, they nailed him to a cross. The scripture says that from noon until 3 o'clock that day, the whole area became dark as if it were night. Well, there were thousands of people walking by that hill on the way into Jerusalem at that time and saw him hanging up there because, you see, that Friday was going to be the Sabbath starting at about 6 o'clock that evening. Well, Jews weren't allowed to prepare food or do any work on the Sabbath, and so Along in that time, they were going into Jerusalem to get their food, etc., to prepare for the Sabbath. And so there were thousands of people streaming by. And you can imagine the panic when everything went dark and the winds came up. They knew something terrible, something awesome was happening. And the scripture says, in that time of darkness, Jesus cried out from the cross My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now they knew, and you and I do too, that's the first verse of the 22nd Psalm. And that's how they would have known it and remembered it. And when he said that phrase, the whole Psalm came flooding back to them. Like the first verse of a song to you and me, and come flooding into our head would be the rest of the song. When they heard him say that, they... Heard Psalm 22. They heard it say, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They cast lots for my clothing. They divide my garments among them. All who see me mock me. They shake their heads at me and hurl insults, saying, He trusts in God? Let God deliver him. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax and melts away within me. My strength is dried up like pottery, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. O oh God, you have laid me in the dust of death. They saw that psalm, that 900-year-old prophecy of David happening in front of their very eyes. My God, my God, why have you left me all alone? But it wasn't just a prophecy. It was true. You see, Jesus hung on the cross, bearing the sins of all that was owed, all the faithlessness of all the generations under that covenant, and not just theirs, but all the faithlessness, all the lack of trust, all the disobedience, all the sin for you and for me. It's as though that scapegoat upon his head laid all the debt of the world. And like that scapegoat, he was set outside the city alone to die. And God turned his face away from the sin of all of us. The scripture says that about three o'clock in the afternoon about the time they would blow the shofar, the horn, for the evening sacrifices, the evening sin offerings, it said about that time the wind came up and an earthquake happened and the world began to shake. It said the temple curtain was torn in two and people became afraid. And in the midst of this, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, It is finished. And as I read that, I always thought he meant this agony of the cross, this unendurable death, this shame, this pain is done because then he died. But even more than that, 2,000 years of a death that was owed the death sentence that hung over all of us, the covenant that had to be fulfilled in blood was finished in the death of the Lamb on the cross. By the blood of the Lamb, the judgment of God passed over us. And so on that Thursday evening, As they took the bread, Jesus broke it and he said to them, this is my body, which is for you. He is the sacrificial animal. His body is the one that was broken. He is the blood of the covenant. When you eat this, remember me. Would you join me? he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new beginning. It's a new covenant in my blood. It ends all the debt that was owed. On a cosmic scale, it is our salvation. But in a very personal way, it's also Jesus saying to us, I love you. I'll commit my life to you. Will you marry me? Will you come with me? Will you make your home with me? Will you commit yourself to me? And that's what this cup means in a very personal way. It's an offer from a groom to a bride who said, I'll give my life for you. Will you commit your life to me? Will this cup pass us by? Or will we drink it? And when we take this cup, that's our answer. That's our question. That's our God. That's the lover of our souls. Will you commit your life to me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you in awe of what you have done. We know the weight of our faithlessness down all the generations, all the centuries, that you have been faithful. And Father, we confess that we have not. We have not been obedient. And we see that through the centuries, you began to teach us and to show us how you would save us by the blood of the Lamb. But you didn't just save us, You came in a very personal way to adopt us, to marry us, to commit your life for us, and to invite us to live forever with you. And, Father, that's what Jesus is to us. And we can think of nothing but to praise you, to say that we love you, that we commit our lives to you. Father, we glorify you and we praise you for how great you are, for your great mercy and your unfathomable love. In ancient times, God commanded Moses to bless the people. And he said, you'll do it in this way. Baruch atah I, the shemar atah. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in the peace of Jesus Christ. God bless you you. Okay.